Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by Lee Jeep with the new Jeep Wrangler and Grand Cherokee 4xE plug-in hybrid models at Lee Jeep in Auburn and Westbrook. LeeAuto.com. This is Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Erwin Gratz, probably the last person who will greet you by saying Happy New Year. Joining me as usual, Maine Public State House and Politics Chief Steve Missler and political correspondent Kevin Miller. It's a happy new year so far for Democratic Governor Janet Mills. She got to take her oath of office for a second term on Wednesday evening, just hours after the legislature enacted her $473 million heating and housing aid measure. That's the bill that will trigger $450 relief checks to most Mainers. Steve Missler, you were at the Augusta Civic Center for the inaugural. Tell us about it. Right. So the governor didn't really make any news with her inaugural address, Irwin. And I think that was by design and pretty much in line with previous speeches like this. It, it was an aspirational address, basically marked by the governor's affinity for rhetorical flourishes, poetry, local history, and really a tribute to her native state. And in a thematic sense, it was a lot like the speech she gave at her inaugural four years ago. I think one difference may have been a more direct acknowledgement of the historic nature of her achievement as the first woman elected governor of Maine, which she mentioned after recognizing the ascension of other women trailblazers in politics, including Dora Bradbury Pinkham, who was the first woman elected to the Maine legislature almost exactly 100 years ago. I hope Dora Pinkham would be pleased to know that today, half of our congressional delegation are women, that a black woman from Portland is our Speaker of the House. And that a woman whose own roots lie deep in Pinkham's beloved county has now taken the oath for the second time to serve as governor of the state. And of course, the reference there to, to the first black woman as Speaker of the House is Rachel Talbot Ross, who was seated to the left of Franklin County native Governor Janet Mills. A lot of Mills' speech was front-loaded with a list of accomplishments, and then she used the second half really to preview her second-term agenda, albeit in very broad terms. Uh, and she did that by using NASA's Space Web Telescope, which effectively allows scientists to see distant stars and galaxies as they appeared billions of years ago as a rhetorical device and a call to action for legislators. But what about our descendants, those generations yet to come? What might the telescope of the future reveal to them about who we are now and where we are going? Will it be good? Will they be proud of us? And Mills would go on to list a number of issues that she believes should be a priority, climate change, housing, workforce shortages, the opioid crisis, public education. And by framing these issues as something that will be judged by future generations is obviously intentional. I mean, the prospect of future legacy as an incentive to change the present isn't necessarily a new tactic in politics. But on Wednesday, in front of a new legislature with many new leaders and new ambitions, the governor suggested that that's how she'll be approaching her second term. Well, as I mentioned at the outset, the legislature also enacted that $473 million emergency spending bill. Uh, Kevin Miller, remind us of what's in it. Well, Lauren, uh, the biggest ticket item in the bill is definitely those $450 relief checks. 
you know, ostensibly this money is supposed to help the nearly 900,000 people who receive them, help them pay for heating oil or propane or their electric bills, which are going to go up again this month. But in reality, people can do as they please with the money, just like they did the $850 inflation relief checks that the legislature and the Mills administration sent to taxpayers, most taxpayers last year. So basically, it's it's just another $450 in people's pockets headed into what could be a, a pretty hard winter for, for a lot of Mainers. And like those $850 checks, they'll go out automatically to most people. You don't have to do anything as long as you've filed your income tax returns. And the eligibility is the same. Anyone earning less than $100,000 as an individual or couples with a combined income of uh, less than $200,000, they'll each get $450 checks. But there's also uh, $50 million in this bill for low-income heating assistance programs like LIHEAP. And there's $21 million in emergency housing assistance. And, and that last pool of money is really intended as a stopgap measure. You know, we have thousands of people and households here in Maine who began receiving federal housing assistance during the COVID pandemic uh, when people couldn't afford to pay rent because of the disruption to the economy. But that program just expired. So the state and municipalities have been scrambling to avoid a wave of evictions in the coming months. Some of that money will go towards asylum seekers, uh, mostly in the Portland area. But there are people all over the state who have been relying on that federal assistance for months. And, and without it, they could be in, in pretty bad shape. Now, this, this measure kind of flew through uh, the legislature on Wednesday, but that was only after a kind of a month's delay. Um, talk a little bit about the politics that surrounded this measure. Yeah, yeah. As far as the path it took, Governor Mills and most of the legislative leaders, they wanted to pass it back in early December on the very first day of the legislature so that money could go out right at the beginning of winter. But Republicans in the Senate blocked it because they said spending nearly a half billion dollars demanded at least a public hearing and, you know, a committee review process. That meeting happened just before Christmas. And the bill that passed on Wednesday was pretty much the same as the one that, that was negotiated back in early December. So it was the same result, only weeks later than many people had wanted. But to the politics of it, this was definitely an early test of how well Democrats and Republicans can work together in the new legislature. There's some interesting dynamics between uh, between the two Republican caucuses in the, the Senate and the House. The House Republicans strongly supported it. The Senate Republicans blocked it. So we'll have to see how that develops. And overall, the legislature got it done eventually, but uh, not without some bumps and bruises along the way. Well, despite a new year, Maine's Wabanaki tribes still face an old struggle to escape most of the strictures of the Maine Indian Claims Settlement Act. Steve Missler, are there any reasons for the tribe to be more optimistic this year about winning more state acquiescence on sovereignty issues? Yeah, I think so, Erwin. And I think a big reason for that is the prospect of making this effort more bipartisan. In recent years, the Wabanaki tribes have really relied on Democratic support to push things to push for things like sovereignty or overhauling parts of the Settlement Act, um, or really just to get more audience with the legislature. Republican engagement or interest really has been pretty limited, but this week signaled a possible change on that front when the newly anointed House GOP caucus leader, Billy Bob Fockingham, showed up at an event held by the Wabanaki Alliance and essentially acknowledged that Republican communication with the tribes has been lacking and that he's going to change that. There has been a communication barrier between 
the tribes and the Republicans in the past. And there's a large contingent of my caucus here tonight, and I just want you to know that that communication barrier is torn down. And Falkingham went on to say that the tribe's cause is something that he thinks aligns with Republican Party values. When I hear things like equality, self-reliance, sovereignty, those are words that speak to the values of what it means to me to be a Republican. And Falkingham's comments came during the same event attended by Democratic House Speaker Rachel Talbot Ross and Senate President Troy Jackson, both of whom supported a sweeping tribal sovereignty bill that the governor stalled last year by threatening to veto it. Now, to be clear, Falkingham did not make any promises to support another tribal sovereignty bill, and he actually voted against the one last year. And so far, it's not certain that the Wabanaki tribes will push a similar bill during this session. Talbot Ross, who was the lead sponsor of that bill last year, said in a recent interview with us that it's entirely up to tribal leaders to decide how to proceed. That said, Falkingham's willingness to engage the tribes on overhauling parts of the settlement agreement could be a game changer for their efforts, especially if he can convince members of his caucus to follow him. And that's the hope of tribal leaders. They've told me uh, a couple of months ago that they're really focusing on working with Republicans, and that's going to be a focus of their legislative efforts this year. That's interesting. Of course, as you pointed out, um, the Wabanaki tribes may still run into resistance from Governor Mills. Right. And I think that's the key, right? If they can get Republican support, if it's enough to get a supermajority in the legislature, whatever the cause may be, whatever the bill is, and the governor happens to oppose it with Republican support, they could override any veto that she might issue on any particular bill. The legislature's return to Augusta this week marks the start of about six months of intense activity. This is the longest and usually the most consequential session this legislature will hold over the next two years. Kevin, what is uh, on the agenda? Well, there's a lot on the agenda. Uh, Folks on both sides of the aisle seem to agree that that $21 million in emergency housing that we just talked about, that that's really only a Band-Aid for a much bigger housing problem. Uh, So addressing Maine's lack of affordable housing is, I think, going to be a, a top priority this year. But that's a that's a really complex issue with a lot of factors. Uh, so there, there's no easy solution. They tried to tackle it from the zoning side last year to encourage development of more affordable housing. But that bill was whittled down significantly, uh, in part because towns and property owners don't like the state telling them what they can and can't do with their with their property. So housing is definitely one big issue. Maine's criminal justice defense system for low-income Mainers is also in crisis, and the court system is extremely backlogged. So while housing is an obvious human rights and economic issue because companies can't hire all those workers they're looking for, or if those workers can't afford to find somewhere to live, the indigent legal defense system is a constitutional issue. And right now, a lot of people in Maine say the state is not fulfilling its constitutional obligation. And uh, some other issues, electricity prices, solar energy policies, the worsening opioid crisis, climate change, Maine's child welfare system. So like I said, a lot of issues. And uh, pretty much all these things cost money. So those discussions will be part of the budget negotiations that will really start in earnest next month and run through the spring. And kind of going back to Maine's constitution, approving a state budget is one of the primary jobs of the legislature. And lawmakers will need to agree on a budget plan before July 1st to keep state government funded and keep it operational. 
State House reporter Kevin Miller, along with Chief State House and political correspondent Steve Missler. And that's Maine's political pulse for this week. You may know this, but our podcast is updated every Friday afternoon. You can hear part of it on All Things Considered Friday afternoons. You can find more in the Maine's Political Pulse newsletter. It's on our website, mainepublic.org, where you can also sign up to uh, receive it in your email inbox and also hear this podcast. Rob Holt provides the music for this podcast. I'm Erwin Gratz. Join us again soon for Maine's Political Pulse. Thank you.